In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con! Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Today, a discussion of Batman and the Bronze Age with Michael Cronenberg. Michael is the co-author of The Batcave Companion, which came out from Two Morrows. Uh, back issue editor-in-chief Michael Yuri covered the 60s and the uh, Adam West era of Batman as it was reflected in comics and Michael took care of the 70s so we talk a lot about the writers and the artists that made the 70s a really important decade in the Batman mythos Michael is also involved with a lot of interests and uh, is pursuing them professionally Ringside Seat is a boxing magazine that Michael is a big part of it's uh, really a, an incredible presentation as a digital magazine. I'm a huge fan. And you know me. I got my boxing background. I covered boxing from 1989 to 2006 for Ring Magazine and Boxing Illustrated. And also on the radio here locally in Chicago on uh, the sports station The Score. And then nationally as well for Sporting News Radio, which later became the Yahoo Sports Network. So talking to Michael gives me an excuse to combine a couple of my favorite interests, boxing and comics. And you know, there's a lot of boxing in comic books. Uh, Wildcat, the wonderful Justice Society member, also Daredevil's uh, beginnings stem from boxing. His dad, Jack K.O. Murdoch, uh, very instrumental in the origin of Daredevil. And uh, we get into the uh, boxing and comics with Michael. But uh, also, he's a big part as well of Noir City. Uh, and an excellent digital magazine that covers uh, the noir films and books and really everything that is noir. Eddie Muller from Turner Classic Movies, one of the great guys who keep the noir genre alive in his presentations, and Michael works very closely with him. Beyond the Batcave Companion, Michael's background also stems into the EC library. He worked very much with Russ Cochran in those uh, latest EC collections that we got in the last couple years. So, uh, so much to talk about. We really don't get to everything. So Michael's guaranteed to come back and talk to us more. But I think you're going to like the Batman conversation and the boxing conversations with Michael Cronenberg on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thanks a lot, League, for your support. Got some uh, great uh, late June uh, people that have jumped on and uh, want to subscribe to Word Balloon. They think uh, what I do here is uh, worthy of their support. And thank you. Word Balloon's free. It'll always be free. I keep saying that because it's true. But if you want to help out the cause, you can go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad there or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Do you think Word Balloon is worth the price of a comic book a month? Do you think it's worth a dollar a month? If you can spare that and uh, help support the cause, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Let's start with a boxing book, the Muhammad Ali biography, 
It's 42% off, $11.59. There are also other great books available at In Stock Trades. Of the comic, uh, more of the uh, straight-up superhero thing, there's, uh, let's see, how about um, Superman Zero Hour? Dave Michelini and Jackson Geis among the creators uh, that took care of this, but uh, uh, this is amazing. You know, the uh, Zero Hour, the, the Kents never find Superman. He isn't the protector of uh, Metropolis. Uh, it's a very interesting story, and it was uh, part of a great event. 320 pages. It's 42% off, $17.39. You can also get Hit Girl in Colombia, Mark Miller, uh, doing great stuff with Ricardo uh, Lopez Ortiz. And uh, it's another continuation in the fine Hit Girl saga. 42% off. It's $8.69. There's also Mystic You. Mike Norton worked on this book along with Alyssa uh, Quitney and uh, Jordi Belair. Uh, this is uh, Zatanna starting her own little school. Uh, Tim Hunter is in there. Really fun miniseries that uh, deserved more attention, and I'm glad they've collected it. 42% off, $9.85. Some of the great books that are available now at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Go there. You'll find great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Mike Cronenberg, talking Batman in the Bronze Age and boxing. Now, on Word Balloon. Happy to welcome Michael Cronenberg. Am I saying it right, Michael, to, to Word Balloon? That is correct. Excellent, man. Uh, welcome. And, man, uh, we were just talking in the warm-up about some of the things we could be talking about. I figured it would be, you know, maybe 50% boxing, 50% comics, but you have so many other interests that dovetail into not only my own but the Word Balloon listeners. But uh, welcome, and thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks, John. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. I discovered you from uh, one of your current projects, Ringside Seat, which is uh, – incredibly great boxing magazine uh the fourth issue just came out and i'm enjoying your coverage because not only are you looking at the current scene but uh you're also doing great articles and beautiful art representing uh boxing's past as well oh thanks and you know the credit for um for the content of the magazine has to go to bill detloff who's the editor-in-chief of the magazine um he is he's put together you know four really magnificent issues as far as content goes and finding writers. Um, so, you know, he's kind of my partner in crime. So it's, it's been great working with him. Excellent, man. You also are another one of your partners, Eddie Muller, the fine uh, noir expert and historian who uh, does great work on Turner classic movies, but also uh, he's behind noir city, right? The great film festivals of all the noir films, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Eddie, no, Eddie and I are, are good friends. We were, we were, brothers separated at birth like we like to say because our interests we have so many of the same interests but um yeah you know he he does noir alley um which is saturday late night and sunday mornings Mm -hmm. and of course before that he was doing the north city festivals like you said and he is the president and founder of the film noir foundation and um i work with eddie on various projects for the foundation and design his uh the North City uh, e-magazine, which is a quarterly magazine that we put out, uh, that is all about noir of all kinds. You know, movies, comics, uh, books. Uh, we even did a music issue. Um, and Eddie also, I also work with Eddie. Uh, he has his own publishing firm called um, Blackpool Productions. So we've put out um, a book about David Goodis. 
book on, that Eddie wrote on the making of Gun Crazy. And, Excellent. Um, he also put out a collection of his kind of postcards of his uh, Belgian noir, film noir movie posters. Wow. That's great because there's so many great, beautiful. Aren't, yeah, the Belgian you know. posters, aren't they just – they're magnificent, all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah, just of of incredible classics. And I always love when somebody, some old film, you know, fan randomly will throw one up on Facebook or something like that, or Twitter or Instagram, and you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, look out! Why wasn't that in the states? What? A yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of them were better than the domestic, um, than the domestic <laughs> posters. There's without a doubt, and I think that's that was why Eddie did it. I mean, he's a he's a poster collector, so you know, he also did that <clears throat> very beautiful book which actually was re, re, reprinted called the art of noir and those are all his posters that are in in that book wow that's um, incredible so uh, yeah and we're working on a current book we're working on another book that'll be coming out um in the fall excellent um well you know and and of course you yourself and we'll swing this into comics and talk about comics for a while uh you've you're the author of a great batman book uh, the ba- yeah, thank you. The the, the Batcave Companion, which uh, I did, I wrote with uh, Michael Yuri, and it's uh, a book in two parts. It's it's about the Batman's comic book history in the 1960s and then in the 70s. And since I kind of grew up with Batman comics as a kid in the 70s, I wrote uh, the part about the, the 70s, and Michael did the 60s because that's when he was reading Batman comics when he was a kid. Okay. Um, and I designed the book also, but, uh, that was a labor of love. Uh, basically I ended up right. I ended up reading every Batman and detective comic from 1969 to 1979. Wow. That's a, and I'm assuming 69 starting because isn't that when Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams kind of, Ex- you know, exactly. That was uh, the secret of the waiting graves, which is kind of like the, the, the start really actually the, the, the way I started it. And, and the book, the way Michael and I did the book was we also have a complete index of every single one of those, uh, detective and Batman issues. So when okay. in, in Michael's sections for the sixties, he begins with the New Look era, which starts in 64, you know, when Bat- when Julius Schwartz took over Batman and gave him the yellow circle around the yep. Bat emblem. <clears throat> and Carmine Infantino was working, doing a lot of the art in those issues. Yep. So he goes to 69, and basically I pick up when um, Dick Grayson goes off to college. Hudson University. Um, Hudson absolutely. University, exactly. One, <laughs> one, one bullet too many. That was the, that's the name of that story. It's um, a great story. It yeah, is a good you story. Know, Frank Robbins wrote that story. Yeah, and oh, man, I'm telling you, and that's the thing, especially in your decade that you covered, Frank Robbins, one of the unsung Batman. Oh, like, uh, I mean, oh, yeah. you know, us older readers know. But yeah, both, uh, I mean, beautiful art. At, well, you, you know, it's interesting. His comic book art is a little... Like it looks rough, and I don't know if it was the production that made it. Like when he was doing uh, the Invaders, you, you know, you know, John, I, I, I and I, and I, I, in the book, uh, <laughs> I, I gave, uh, like, kind of call out pages, sure, to art to artists and writers who um, I felt who were kind of like 
forgotten or who, yeah. you know, everybody loves Neil Adams. I mean, who doesn't love Neil Adams? Everybody loves, Den- everybody loves Denny O'Neill. And I interviewed both of them <clears throat> in person for the, for, for the books and they, each one of them gets a chapter. Um, but I did Irv Novick, who I felt was kind of like the, the kind of the, the workman guy, you know, who, who did so many Batman stories. He, of course he did the flash too, but he did so many Batman stories, but I gave Frank Robbins his due because I really liked his stories and he, I dug in, and he had a really interesting backstory, too. Just to quickly get back to his art, when I was a kid, people, the kids hated his art because everybody <laughs> loved everybody loved Neil Adams. Yeah, it was clean. You know, it was clean and But modern. I tell you what, I love I loved Frank Robbins, and I still I love Frank agree. Robbins' art, and I love his could Batman. <laughs> well, his writing, exactly. Now, mostly, uh, am I right? He didn't really draw Batman. He mostly just wrote Batman. He did. He did. He he drew. He okay. may have done. He in Detective. He did maybe five stories. Uh, one you may remember is the one about the with the Russian roulette. Uh, it was a Michael Luda, very famous Michael Luda cover with Batman holding a revolver to his head. But oh, yes, Robbins yeah. did the interior art for that. Oh, um, wow. And Robbins also did a Man Bat story, um, you know. And he, oh, okay. And he co-created Man Bat with Neil Adams. That's right. Yes, and that and again. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of his pure stories are really some of the the absolute best Batman stories of the seventies. But as you say, his art was kind of hated. But I was buying those Invader comics. Oh, and, I love the Invader and his and his Captain yeah. America too. I liked I liked his yes. Captain America. Yeah, and that's the thing. And it was kind of. A little cartoony compared to, like we say, the clean style of a Gene Colan or a Neil Adams or somebody like that. But you could – I've talked about this with artists like Tim Bradstreet and stuff. And it was like I, – I, at first I'm like, oh, this is ugly. And I'm like, yet I keep looking at it. Yeah. And it's like and, – and then I went back and read his comic strip work on Johnny John, Hazard. Johnny Hazard. His, his, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Absolutely. And, you know, as you well know, and I'm telling the listeners, he really was kind of a Milt Kniff acolyte. Oh yeah, oh, oh, I mean, they yeah. were contemporaries, but clearly it's in that Milton Kniff style of Steve Canyon and Terry and the Pirates, and certainly Johnny Hazard. You might initially call it a poor man's uh, Steve Canyon, but really the stories are great, and the art is just lush. It's beautiful. His his art was his art was fantastic, and what I found out by by digging in and look, wrote the book about ten years ago, but digging in what I could about Frank Robbins was that, and I found some of his paintings, beautiful paintings. He was. Um, he worked uh, on the um, during the depression. Uh, the WPA. He was a WPA artist. Wow. And he, okay. he painted murals um, in some of the uh, government buildings in New York City. And I saw some of his paintings and some of his murals. And it was just beautiful work. Beautiful work. He was a he was a wonderful artist. And of course, after he, like a lot of artists, after he finished as a car, as a comic book artist when he retired, he he went back. He went back to painting, but his yep. paintings, his early paintings when he was working with the WPA were just beautiful. You worked you, the Bat uh, Cave Companion, as you said, co-written by Michael Yuri, uh, one of the uh, Tomorrow's publications yes. for people right. listening. And, you know, uh, again, I'm sure my listeners are well aware of Back Issue and Which I am. I'm the, I'm, the cover, I'm the cover designer for Back Issue magazine. I too. had no idea. That's fantastic. That's man. right. And I've got a Muhammad Ali story in the new issue. Oh, that's great! Is it? Uh, and again, as we're talking about boxing and, and comics and the like, uh, we, we're, we're going to have to mention the uh, the Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Oh yeah! Uh, oh yeah! Treasury edition and everything, and 
You know, we were both young readers then, and I, I remember buying it off the new, buying it at my drugstore, I should say. John, I still have my same one that I bought off, off, <laughs> you know, off the newsstands. That's I still got it. That's excellent. I've I've interviewed uh, Neil and Denny as well in the past, and uh, spent a lot of time with Neil on uh, on Superman versus Muhammad Ali, and uh, also when he uh, did that all century issue for ESPN magazine, and kind of did his own you right. know, re homage, putting Ali against Michael Jordan in uh, in the cover, and I thought that was really a, a great thing. But yeah, I mean that's that's such a fun comic. I'm really glad they celebrated it uh, a couple years ago. And uh, made the action figures, and uh, and and also put out the hardcover, and and gave us more insight on that uh, that incredible cover that started as a Joe Kubert cover, right, and then became a, a Neil Adams cover. Yeah, that co- that cover is such an homage to the '70s. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's great, and you know the way I think about it, and you know I love Neil, uh, and he was I'm the he's he and Jim Steranko, um, and I'm. It, I can say that Jim Steranko is like has been a mentor to me because it's like he's helped me so much through my throughout my career. That's but, fantastic. But I became an artist because of Neil Adams. Um, I saw his art when I was about seven, eight years old, and I decided I, I had I wanted to become an artist. Um, when I saw Batman uh, two thirty two, the um, uh, the first appearance of Ra's Ghoul. But I think I feel like the, his last great work, Neil's last great work, was Superman versus Muhammad Ali. That I was his. Appreciate that. That was yeah. his last really, truly, truly great, great work. I, I I don't know if you've you've read some. Of, I'm sure you've read a lot of the back stuff about that. But it's, it was interesting reading of what Denny and and, and Neil had to go through when they uh, had to meet um, Herbert Muhammad and Ali at the, the Nation of Islam. <laughs> Herbert Muhammad, for people who don't know, Ali's manager, the son of Elijah Muhammad, the the founder of uh, the 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 Black uh, Muslim uh, movement, is that a fair? How else would you you know? Yeah, you the na- know but they, they call that. themselves the nation, the nation of Islam. The nation right? of Islam. Yeah. There you go. Yes. So again, to get this approved, because Ali was a disciple of the Nation of Islam, uh, yeah, they had to go through the the, the church to kind of get it approved. Yeah, he's, they said there were some really shady, some scary characters. Over I there. bet. Oh yeah, man. Oh god. <laughs> look, well, uh, look. Him. Muhammad Ali was afraid of them. Right. Well, and and it's really amazing the the few times he did stand up to them, and um, and also really um, his other brother, Herbert's other brother, I know, took over the church before Louis Farrakhan did, um, and 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 I know Ali was was sympathetic to him mm-hmm. and and that was a very complicated uh, Farrakhan and Ali I think was a very complicated relationship and it seemed like Ali was keeping his distance Ali uh, really far- separated himself you know after really after it felt like almost not too long after his uh, conviction was overturned by the Supreme Court uh, okay. you know his draft evasion c- conviction it didn't take too much longer for him to start separating himself from uh, some of the rhetoric that um, that the Nation of Islam was doing, but you know, I think they softened also when when uh, Elijah Muhammad died. I think they they softened a lot of their stances. I mean, there was some some crazy stuff coming out of there. Um, it's a parallel, really, to unfortunately today's political climate. Where, yeah, I think you're right, and I think that's why uh, Farrakhan, who was spouting some pretty angry rhetoric, was able to come in and kind of reignite 
in the same way that a Vladimir Putin has. And again, you know, pointing to a, a guy like Donald Trump with his base and stuff. Yep. That's kind of how those guys became leaders. But let's get back to boxing and let's get back to yeah. So so tell me about the vetting of of this uh, of Superman versus Muhammad Ali with Muhammad Ali's people. Um, just what I was just saying, which was that, you know, it was, it was a scary situation that they went over there, you know, and, um, that Ali was a delight to deal with. I know that, that both, um, both Neil and Denny both said that he, Ali was a delight. And the the thing is, is that I, I did the article that I did for back issue magazine that's coming out this, I think next week, um, is about oh, number five. Um, back issue. Oh, no, excuse me, back issue. I was thinking of yeah, no, yeah, no, back issue. Um, uh, it's about the Mego toys, that the Ollie Mego sure. toys that came out. Sure. So Michael asked me if I wanted to do that. I approached him because I thought, oh, I'd like to do something on Superman versus Muhammad Ali because he was doing some Muhammad Ali stuff. And I said, and he said, no, we've done an article about that. Do you want to do about the Mego toys? I said, oh, yeah, sure. Well, what it ended up being was um, it's really the pieces of very thinly veiled biography of Ali's boxing career. And Michael liked it enough that he said, oh, this is great. I really love it. I'm going to I'm going to cool. but but I did do research into the whole the whole um, the whole thing with Migo um, because you're talking about 1976. And it was a pretty bold thing for Migo to have an African-American as their front man. You know, um, for this whole line of toys that they were releasing. And the guy who was the head of Migo said, you know, he said, I'm not sure about some of the people with the Nation of Islam. I didn't like them. I didn't trust sure. them. They were pretty seedy. He said, but one thing I got to say about Muhammad Ali, he was a gentleman. He showed up on time. He plugged and did everything he could to um, to promote. Um, and uh, he was a, he was a gentleman to deal with, you know, so. Uh, so there's two stories, you know, from from of people who are outside of the boxing circuit who dealt with Ali and said that he was nothing but a gentleman and a true professional. Did you ever have a firsthand experience with Ali? Oh God, no. no I oh wish. no, I yeah. no, I, I uh, never never have. I I don't know if I've mentioned this in our correspondence, but I did write for Boxing Illustrated. For no, I knew that. I knew that. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, you told me. Well, you told okay, me. Okay, I was all right. I, that, I that's how I knew about it. And then I went back okay. and looked at some back issues, and I said, "Oh man, there's John's, there's John's name." Oh, that's great. I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate you looking. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to track down one issue that Tommy Morrison was on the cover, and I did a couple stories about Leon, one of Leon Spinks's sons, Leon Calvin Spinks, mm-hmm. who uh, was uh, killed very early in his professional career, and I got to see his second professional fight. Um, but uh, in my Boxing Illustrated years, I went to an ESPN fight. Harold Brazier, the great uh, junior li- uh, junior welterweight and, and uh, super light, or yeah, one one thirty nine or one forty, and yeah, mostly one thirty five, one forty. Yeah, I remember him from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great great journeyman fighter, really tough. You had to be world class to beat Harold Brazier. He was one of those guys that you know you had to beat if you wanted to move on in your career. And uh, Ali was coming. And uh, the promoter's like, hey, Ali's coming. I'm like, yeah, right. He's like, no, seriously. Uh, the uh, the town in Michigan that he lived in, where they're just now selling the home, the old house. Oh, and, Dearborn. That's that. Dearborn, Michigan, right? Barry, I want to say Barrian Springs. Well, like, me, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, like 45 minutes away from South Bend, Indiana. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that much for him to come. And uh, they're like, no, really. And they're like, hey, we'll, we'll 
let you talk to him. I'm like, that's fantastic, if it's okay with them. So, and it was just him, and um, I, I wasn't sure if it was Howard Bingham with him or not, but he had another gentleman with him who did have a camera and was taking pictures. I assumed it was Howard Bingham. Right. And a couple of his kids, I have no idea which daughters it was, but two of his daughters. I don't think Layla was, was one of them, but it might have been. Um, and uh, I got to talk to him, and I had my little micro cassette recorder. And this is right before Evander Holyfield fought George Foreman. And it was great. And they're like, hi, a boxing illustrator? They're like, okay, we'll give you a couple minutes with the champ. You can ask him some questions. So I asked him what yeah, he thought. I'm great. like, you fought George? Yeah, and it was great. And it was amazing because he spoke slowly, but his mind was fine, as we all know now. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was, uh, was kind of trapped in this Parkinson syndrome body from, you know. That was probably around the time that Champions Forever, that, that, that yes. video, that documentary came out, which is Great. I can't recommend yes. that to enough to people to watch. If you if you have any interest in the seventies heavyweights, you know, that's that's a wonderful documentary. Couldn't agree more. And much much like Batman in the seventies, that was the la- the last uh, you know, incredible decade for uh, for heavyweight boxing. Oh yeah. Where literally I mean Jerry Quarry, had there not been a Joe Frazier, a Muhammad Ali, a George Foreman, a Larry Holmes, Jerry Quarry probably would have been a champion for a few years. Absolutely. and Jerry Quarry was one hell of a fighter too. Yep. He was one hell of a fighter. <laughs> White guy that happened to, uh, you know, and again, fought the best. Fought a really tough first fight with Joe Frazier. Oh, that Frazier fight, that first fight with Frazier was awesome. It's a great yep. fight. You can see it on YouTube, guys, yep. and yep. women that are interested in the subject. But, all right, back to comics. because uh, And then uh, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about, uh, well, first of all, Ringside Seat. Let's really say that, first of all. Great magazine. Really enjoy it. Um, as I say, a great combination of what's going on now and wonderful callbacks to great moments in boxing. So, yeah, I can't recommend that enough. We'll, we'll uh, promote it Thank uh, you. at the end okay. of the show and absolutely let people know if they want to uh, subscribe it's, it's fan- or purchase each issue, however you've got it uh, arranged. Right. Yeah, we don't have a subscription set up yet. It's something we're, we're, we're sitting and talking about. We just, we just finished a year. We're our fourth issue. We're quarterly, so we just finished a year. So we've got some things to talk about as we move forward. But I will say with each issue – we're um, we're gaining more steam, and I think each issue gets better and better with each issue. So, very cool. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been fascinated with boxing since I was a little kid. My uh, my grandfather was into it. My father had a pizzeria and a bar, and anytime Wide World of Sports was showing a boxing match, I was usually there in the seventies watching them. Not just Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, and uh, so many other great fighters, and and just that wonderful Howard Cosell call. <laughs> Some of these fights. Oh yeah, it was, always Co- a pleasure to was see. great. You know, I, I I grew up loving box. My my father was in the Golden Gloves. He had a professional career as a boxer for a brief period of time. He probably had about ten, twelve fights. Okay. So I love boxing. You know, sure. I mean, he 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 kind of passed that down. It seems like a lot of that is a lot of fathers passing down to their kids. You know, their love of boxing. Um, but uh, yeah, I have the same experience where I'm watch wide world of sports and he actually was able he actually took me a couple of times to um to the theater i grew up in miami to the theater to to see uh some of the closed circuits fights also that's great so had you ever gone to the fifth street gym yes oh, that's actually i never saw ali. i never saw ali there but i, I saw I, understand. Um, I saw chris dundee there and um the old I promoter saw, angela's older brother absolutely. yeah 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 did you ever see angelo down there no, I don't remember seeing Angela Dundee there. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, my years in sports radio, I got to uh, hang out a few times with Angela, and also covering 
Boxing for Boxing Illustrated as I did. Um, he brought a bunch of young kids to uh, Chicago. Uh, Chemek Saleta, I remember, was a name of a, a Polish fighter that he was training at the time. But I, you know, not only Ali, but I asked him about Michael Olajide and some of the other, you know, Willie Pastrano. Some Willie of the Pastrano, great, yeah. Yeah, some of, some of the, the great and near great uh, fighters that. Of course, Angelo and then, and then Angelo ended up training um, George Foreman. That's right. You know, was that? Do you think that was real, or did you think that was more ornamental? I thought it was more ornamental. It seemed. I, you know, I never saw Angelo in the gym with him. I only saw Angelo in the corner with him. Right. And it seemed like each fight, George would kind of almost dismiss what Angelo was saying to him, like, "Yeah, all right, never." Yeah, right. You know, and talk to one of the other trainers really, and and hear him more. Got a chance. I interviewed George many times over the years, both during the comeback and also. Um, I was I was fortunate after I stopped writing for Boxing Illustrated in the mid '90s. Um, I worked for the Chicago Sports Station in town, uh, the Sports Talk Station, the Score, and also Sporting News Radio in the early 2000s. And they would send me to. That's Vegas awesome. So you got so you so you talked to George. Did you talk what? to George pre pre retirement when he was still never pre retirement? Oh, no, okay. no, no. I okay. I, I start, my first talk was when I was doing radio down in Bloomington, Illinois. And it was for his Dwight Muhammad Cowie comeback fight, and he was tremendous. Could not have been nicer. And I'm, you know, asked the same questions everybody did back then because George was fighting, you know, kind of bums, and it was yeah. okay because his whole point was, I just need activity. I just need to get my timing back. That's what I need. And once I get all that back, I will be ready. And he was right. Yeah. Everything yeah. he said was absolutely yeah. I mean this was his seventh comeback fight and these were guys like Steve Zuski and some of these <laughs> right. yeah, you know, right. I can't exactly. remember the the guy he fought in Alaska, Gator Williams I want to say was that guy and I you know um they would show up on you know cable TV and you'd watch him and it's like what the hell is he doing? He fought a Chicago guy, Bobby Hits and it took him just a round to knock him out. You know and um but yeah it was it, so that's when I first started talking to him and then when he was working for HBO in the early 2000s, I got to talk to him several times. And it was very much like Chicago broadcast fans will, will understand, and maybe some national fans. It was like talking to Harry Carey in the best way in terms of on TV, when they're, when they're calling a game or George was calling a fight, he'd be more silly and, and a little more clowning, a little bit. And then when you talk to him in the press room about a fight, he was all business. And Harry Carey was the same way where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, man, this guy knows his baseball. Don't dismiss him. And obviously George was like that with fighting. I remember they were it was a Marco Antonio uh, Barrera-Eric Morales fight. And George was just very, very like, this is what I like about Eric Morales and really got into detail. And I told him after we turned off the, micro- or the, the microphone, I'm like, hey, I like this George Foreman. How come this guy doesn't show up on TV? And he said, no, no, no. They got Merchant to be the, the expert. I'm supposed to be the funny guy. That, that's like, great. And, you know, I love you know, George. I mean, the, 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 the fight that, that – and that's fantastic, John, that you got that experience. You got to be able to, like, actually interview him not once but, but several times. I mean, that's yeah. – I'm very, I'm very envious. But I, his fight with Ron Lyle was the fight that sealed it for me as a kid. Yes. To, to be a boxing fan, that was the fight that I became like that. That's it. Um, I became a diehard boxing fan after I saw that. Fight. I mean, I watched other fights and enjoyed other fights, but that was it. I was a I was a boxing, you know. Not you gotta see that. it, kids. YouTube, absolutely. It's yep. a, it's a it's one of the most, if not the most, dramatic fight of the seventies, and it really is George Foreman after he lost to Ali, Ron Lyle, very another guy that maybe if some of these all time greats 
weren't in his way. Ron Lyle might. Have I love Lyle. Yeah, tough guy, man. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, total. I'm not even going to say any more, but just epic fight. The other, the other guy I got, the other two guys I got to mention that were my favorites when I was when I was a teenager, more when I was a teenager, young teenager, um, was Mike Rossman. Sure. Because I was a Jewish kid growing up, my dad was a Jewish fighter. So here we go. I get light heavyweight. Mike Rossman wins the light heavyweight title on national television against Victor Galendez, and it was like. God, there's my there's my hero, you know, when I'm like, you know, 14 years old um, and, you know, his career, you know, didn't go on to be anything great. But that moment was 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 pretty special for me as a kid. And then the other guy that I became really fascinated with and used to watch these with my dad was James Scott fighting at Rahway State Prison. Honeyman Scott. Absolutely. Go on. Those fights were I don't know if there's anything as, as compelling as those fights for me. There's, there were so memorable to see these fights at, um, uh, you know, a state penitentiary. Uh, it, I don't know why they haven't made a movie about about that. You know, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. You know, it's incredible stuff. Actually, um, there was a really great article um, that was uh, that that was written, um, I think, for. SB Nation about okay. mm-hmm. about James Scott that, that people should look for, um, but um, and there was recently uh, Thirty for Thirty uh, podcast. They're doing Thirty yes. for Thirty podcast. They did Go a James on. Scott. They did a James Scott po- podcast about about yes. him. That was very good. The full details of how this convicted, I, I, you know, criminal was in jail and allowed to pursue a professional boxing career while he was in jail. The warden is on there, or if not the warden, some reps from the prison, and I believe it's the warden that talks. And uh, it's, yes. it's fantastic. It's an, it's an incredible podcast. He, he, and he, he went on to mention it if you had. <laughs> Scott went on to become you know the number one contender for the and fight for the for the light heavyweight championship. That's right. It's incredible. No, I I completely agree, and I agree with you on both the fascinations of Scott and uh, Mike Rossman. And again, sorry, Chicago reference. Uh, Mike Rossman, I think defended the title against Luke Capuano or they fought as contenders. And Luke Capuano was a Chicago light heavyweight. My dad was friends with his father who had the much better fighter name of Rocky Capuano. <laughs> and uh, Rocky, Luke's dad, would get so worked up, he couldn't be at ringside. He'd be in the arena, but he would get so upset that he might jump in the ring and punch a corner man or something <laughs> like that. And, he, and, and really, nice. it was so funny. Yeah, dad knew that and Rocky himself knew that. And was just this great uh, Chicago kind of, hey, how you doing, kind of guy and everything, Rocky was. And, uh, yeah, and, I mean, really, the first time he came to the bar, I'm like, Dad, is this guy connected? And he's like, no, 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 he's a good guy. He's a good guy. But he would just have this great kind of tough guy attitude. Hey, Lay, hey, what's happening? (laughs) You sure this guy's not a mobster? Well, he scared the bartender because he came in, and I didn't see this, but the bartender told us. He's like, hey, Lay, where's Jimmy Suntress? And he goes, he's up in his office. He's like, get him down here now. (laughs) <laughs> and, he, and the bartender's like, I got my billy club behind the bar if this guy causes trouble. So I'm ready. And my dad came down. He's like, hey, Rocky, how you doing? Fantastic. Nice. And they were, you know, boyhood friends from Taylor Street in Chicago. So, yeah, it's – no, man. And, again, it is that – it's part of that fascination. Boxing, as you well know, and as everyone listening knows, very dirty sport. But that is part – at least for me, and I'm guessing for yourself, part of the fascination. of Absolutely. Sport. Absolutely. Boxing is the noir of sports, you know. Noir is hot right now. Noir is big, you know. I mean, you know, thanks to Eddie, 
Um, you know, n- you know, noir is very big, and it's the and look, that's one of the connections that Eddie and I had. His father, Eddie Muller Sr., um, was Mr. Boxing, and we wrote about him in the second. Actually, Eddie wrote about him. It was like one of the things, one of my favorite things we've had in in, in ringside seat. Eddie wrote uh, uh, this piece about his father, uh, Eddie Muller Sr., who was Mr. Boxing, who was like the top boxing columnist um, and probably the number one boxing columnist on the West Coast. Um, from the 1940s all the way to, um, God, to the late 70s. And um, so he grew up with that. Eddie grew up with that. Eddie grew up with, you know, the whole boxing thing and he going to the fights with his dad. And um, it's a great piece. It's a great article in, in, our, in our second issue. So that was another thing that Eddie and I connected about. Um, so, yeah, you know, this, the, the, you know, there's so much to boxing than just, you know, what's going on in the ring. I mean, and, and the history, as I think you've got a love of that history and that of, of all of that. It's 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 great. I would recommend anybody going back, just going back quickly to J- to James Scott. You were mentioning YouTube. His fights are on YouTube. And there's even a prison in prison interview that HBO does with James Scott in his cell, which is on wow. YouTube. So it's pretty interesting stuff if anybody wow. is, wants to go back and look. The history of boxing, thank God, is so well documented on YouTube. I'm so glad. Literally, uh, n- newsreels, the the fights of the 40s and early 50s that were on uh, the very early days of television. And, um, you know, ESPN reran them in the 90s, and I, people have put them up and everything. And so many great fights of the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. I mean, really, well, hell, who am I kidding? I've seen... Everything. It's right up yeah. to current. And, and yeah. one of the things about Ringside Seat, which you've probably, you, you probably noticed in, in reading it, is, is that you know, it is an e-magazine that's, that's delivered to, to people as a high-res PDF. But there's links to all those fights. So when you're reading an article, um, you know, like uh, Bill... like. For example, Bill wrote an article, wrote a piece in the third issue. I think it was the, maybe it was the second issue. I'm trying to remember. Bill wrote a really great piece about the um, the ten greatest his his ten top ten greatest middleweight title fights. So I was able to have links to all of those fights on YouTube. So while you're reading the article, you know, you click on the photograph where I have my little movie icon. And up pops your YouTube, the YouTube screen, and you can watch the fight as you're reading the article. That's so excellent. YouTube is fantastic for boxing. I don't know. It's 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 really a it's really a great source. Agreed, absolutely. And you know, I uh, again, I can attest to the high res quality of Ringside Seat. I read it on my Kindle, and it looks fantastic. Oh, there you go. You're doing the right thing. That's what you, the way to read that. The way to read it is. I mean, I, I people don't tablet. like reading on their. Com- com- computer but read it on your tablet read it on your kindle read it on any of the tablets the uh you know your ipad i, I look at it on my ipad and it looks really sure. good that way and so Absolutely. does more city that was the that you know ringside seat is was inspired by more city and you know eddie definitely was part of helping me launch uh ringside seat along with nigel collins um oh that's great the former ring uh Correct. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh no. Nigel, Nigel was. It was Eddie, 
Nigel and me launching that. I mean, it was my idea. Ringside Seat was my idea to come up with this because I, I wanted to do. I always wanted to do a boxing magazine, and um, doing Noir City Magazine, which is done the same way with it, um, you know, delivered as a PDF, and and I design it. Uh, that was that's how I got the idea to go ahead and do the magazine. But yeah, not, no, Nigel was was I developed a friendship with him and. Uh, Nigel, Eddie, and I were, you know, we put our heads together to kind of like start building the magazine and, and kind of get it off the ground. That's awesome, man. Well, and again, beautiful art and beautiful design on, on Noir City as well. Thank you. Thank and, you. And, and I want to get more into your design stuff and, and talk about, you know, as you were telling me, some of your work with Russ Cochran. But I don't want to leave Batman yet. And also other great boxing comics over the years. And both uh, in the comic strip years of, of Joe Palooka and my favorite, and I'm sure one of yours, Big Ben Bolt. Yeah, I haven't read enough of that. You know, I wish I, I wish I had. I, I haven't. I haven't read it. I haven't read Big Ben Bolt. Oh, you know, there's a great collection that was put out a couple of years ago that I'm sure you can find on Amazon. Uh, John Cullen Murphy was the artist writer of Big Ben Bolt. His son, Cullen Murphy... Uh, continued in the tradition of comic strips, wrote Prince Valiant for years. After Cullen Murphy had, it went Hal Foster, then John Cullen Murphy, and then Cullen Murphy, his son, uh, was writing uh, with with his father doing the art, and then took over. He didn't do Big Ben Bolt, but uh, really great comic strip family, uh, the Murphys. And, that's uh, that's yeah, inter- would, that, that's really yeah. interesting. You know, I found a beautiful John Cullen Murphy full color illustration of. Willie Pep and Cindy Sadler fighting that wow, I've been like great. waiting to use in ringside seat for you know the right opportunity, but um, and it, and this is just it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful like probably a gouache illustration. It's just it's magnificent. But I need to look that up, John. Thank you. Thanks for the recommendation. I'm Absolutely. gonna look that up. And I hope you talk to Cullen. I'm trying to get him. He just did an incredible book about his town in Connecticut, where this entire community of comic book and comic strip artists all lived in uh, the 50s through the 70s. And it's called like Cartoon County. Wow, that uh, sounds great. Yeah, man, I'm, tr- I'm tr- uh, trying to track him down to, he, you know, he's an editor at the Atlantic Magazine and, uh, you know, fine writer. But uh, yeah, I mean, this incredible side career <laughs> working with his father and, and uh, yeah, but Big Ben Bolt is like, for people who don't know, it's great. It's an adventure strip with uh, a, a contender fighting and it's kind of the serious version of something like joe palooka joe palooka was more the cartoony uh, ham fisher was the creator very popular in the 30s and 40s and this this kind of fun in the same way that captain marvel was a superhero comic but definitely a humor comic right well. right okay so yeah so that was that was palooka and then big ben bolt but then we get into and i'm sure now we'll get into characters that you are likely more familiar with of course wildcat the great justice society member right um uh and that that's um he was the heavy, uh ted grant he's the heavyweight he ted, was the heavyweight champion that's absolutely right erwin hasten one of the co-creators of wildcat and um yeah great i mean a great 40s strip and then Really enjoyed his evolution in the comics more in the modern era. How about think, those? How about those Brave and the Bold team ups where you know where, with 70s. Bob Haney wrote you know with yep. Batman and 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 the one the one that I'm thinking of that I loved as a kid. And, you know, I, I know you could you, you know what it is. It's the one where Batman and 
Wildcat are forced to box each other with the spikes, with the boxing gloves, with the spikes by the yes. Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hell, even there was a, a one-shot comic. I think it was called Super Teen Family, or maybe one or two, and it was Wildcat and the Creeper. Yes, and yeah. it was And it was a 70s story, and it was – and I always loved this, too, that they, they aged Ted Grant to retire – and and you know even uh, he was on this cruise ship with Jack Ryan the Creeper and all these like old guys I remember seeing you at fifty five you were incredible and you know it was like yeah thanks a lot but he could still do it yeah was, they I gave mean, him, they put the put, they put the gray in his temples you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely man no and you're right those great Bob Haney Brave and the Bold stories of the seventies because as we know in our comic book continuity that could uh, never happen on, yeah, right Wildcat right. was on Earth too and Batman Bob was on Haney Earth one. Bob Haney was was his stories were wonderful. And, you know, I talked to Neil. When I talked to Neil uh, at Continuity, I spent like two days at Continuity talking to him. Cool. This is like 19 – no, this is early 2000s um, when I talked to him for the book. Um, mm-hmm. And he – the way Neil was, 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 was talking, he preferred Bob Haney to Denny O'Neill. He preferred Bob Haney to Denny O'Neill. He said several times, "Why couldn't Denny have done something like 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 Bob Haney? Why couldn't he have done this like Bob Haney?" I understand, and they're they're fun stories. They're fantastic. They're two, they're two such different writers. I mean, Absolutely, it's just it's man. just it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, their yeah. their styles are so different. Haney was just insanity, but so much fun. Exactly. And and you know um, I think my favorite Haney story is um, the one that Neil did that Neil drew um, where is Batman and Sergeant Rock and it's the very very young Bruce Wayne in World War Two. <laughs> I remember. Yes, that's I was going to say it's one of the great examples. And then they'd flash forward, and you had although it, you know, again Bob Haney rules be damned. I'm telling a Sergeant Rock story. And he had Rock as an old man, right? Uh, in, in some of those stories as well. Even though I think Hubert had it that Rock was uh, killed by the last bullet uh, fired in World War II. Or right, right, right. And uh, yeah, Bob Haney, <laughs> Haney changed all that. There was, there's actually one really good. There's a, there's another. There's a lot of memorable Brave and the Bold stories, thanks to Haney. And you know, Jim Aparo took over, and he was wonderful. He was a wonderful Love artist. Jim and there's the one Bob. Uh, we're going to sit here and start reminiscing about comics, but no, that's um, what we, well, we're doing both boxing and comics, man. <laughs> but Sergeant Rock and um, uh, Batman with Hitler when, when Hitler with the well where Batman fall like gets shot and he's in the well and he sells his soul to the devil. Do you remember, remember that one? This one? No, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and and it ends up it ends up being like this this you know it ends up being Hitler's like you know it's just insanity, but it's a so great he's, story. He's a slave to Hitler or whatever. Because it ends up being soul. something like that, you know. Fantastic. Uh, it's just it's just, <laughs> it's just another. And then there's well, another Sergeant Rock Batman team up. I guess this was around the time that the TV movie The Execution of Private. Slovak came out with Martin okay. Sheen, yes, yes, which was a big ratings hit and won a lot of Emmys. It's, and it was actually it's a, it's a terrific movie, and yeah, absolutely, Martin, Martin Sheen was great in it. But there's this, there's a, there's it's not Eddie Slovak. It's another guy who was executed, and how his ghost is haunting Rock in this Brave and the Bold story. <laughs> I do remember that one absolutely. I'm really glad you mentioned Jim Aparo because truly one of the absolute great. 
comic oh, books. Yeah. And in fact, in one of my interviews with Neil, and listen, Neil's amazing. Starenko's the same way. They're happy to tell you how great they are. And, and much like uh, a Muhammad Ali, they have every right to feel that way about their abilities. Yes. And I, and I was talking to Neil about Aparo, and this was very early on when I was still learning a bit about comics history. And I said, I go, you know, he kind of, it seemed to me that he kind of uh, aped your style in the same way that maybe a Don Newton and some of the other 70s Batman artists did. And Neil was very quick to correct me and say, oh, no, 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 Jim, Jim was his own man. He said, I have a lot of respect for Jim. He was an incredible oh, artist. Good. And that's he goes, I appreciate the comparison. He said, but Jim Apparel was his own artist. And, I, and that has really surprised me and was very pleased that Neil really felt that way about Jim. And, and you know, I, I, did a pe- I did something about, about Apparel, like, Similar to what book. I did with Frank Frank Robbins, yeah, in, sure. in the book, you know, and 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 Jim admitted, you know, Aparo admitted that, you know, Neil had an influence on him, you know, and he had an oh, influence on everybody. Okay. But it, but it, but you know what? It, it, it's it, it is Aparo. It, it's 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 pure Jim Aparo. You know, I, you look at it and it's like, yeah, maybe there, you know, he saw Neil and he's it's it's kind of. Batman's Neil, it's, but it's the Neil, it's the Batman of the seventies, and 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 it was Jim Aparo's interpretation of Batman in the seventies. And in the book, um, I dedicate a chapter to um, Archie Goodwin's year on Detective Comics, which was a fantastic year of Detective Comics. And, and Aparo did a number of those stories, and then I did also a chapter on Len Wein's uh, the Bat Murderer um, yes. series, and and I think Aparo did some amazing work on that on that series no literally through through the 80s and into the early 90s and and i was so glad to hear i wasn't there but he finally came to a comic-con late in his life and it really moved him to tears and so many fans telling him how much his art meant to them and and it's like oh thank god man because as you know so many of these creators that we're talking about really did this stuff for i mean i love hearing some of these podcasts my fellow podcasters who really just put the rose-colored glasses on and, oh, the love they put into these books. And it's like, I'm sure they were enjoying what they were doing, but they were doing it, you know, that was their job. That was a paycheck. It was their job, exactly, John. This was, this was their job to do. And, you know, to be honest with you, because of everything that happened with um, the Kefauver hearings that happened yes, in, the in the 50s, yep. a lot of these guys, and Neil talked about it in his interview with me, was – when he got to D, when he got to National, which was DC Comics, right? You know, it was called National. He said these guys were in hiding. Yep. Nobody wanted to admit that they were a cartoonist or a comic book artist. I mean, you you got comic strip artist. Oh, that's fine. You're you're like royalty. Isn't that know? interesting? You're, yes, that there were, was a, a, a line. Yes, definitely. You were royalty. You were considered, um, you know, um, a, a true artist. A, 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 a Somebody who 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 commented on society, you know, you you sure gained a lot of respect. All of those guys, I mean, Walt Kelly and um, uh, what's his name, who did uh, Lil Abner. I mean, all these guys were, were were you know they'd be interviewed on the news or in magazines, right. and they weren't interviewed just about what their comic strips. They were interviewed about like society and and, and politics and such. But comic book artists, Al Cap, Al Cap, by the way, Al Cap, was who you were trying to Al think Cap, of. Go on, right. Um, comic book artists, go on. Comic book artists were in hiding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like it was like the it was like slum work. Well, and, and even the comic strip guys testified against yes. the comic book artists during the Senate Kefauver hearings. Right. It's it's incredible. Go on, please. But um, 
like you were saying, these guys were professionals. I mean, you, at National, at DC Comics, guys would show up in ties. You, you, that was your, yes. you had to wear that. You, you wore yes. a suit. <laughs> even when you were an artist, even when you were a production artist, you came to work and you, you wore a suit. I mean, this was, this was Mad Men. Yes, I mean, that, that's when you watch, when I watch Mad Men. In a lot of ways, I would think about the national offices, like sure. because, because of Neil, because what Neil was telling me about when when he was there in the '60s. Um, but guys like Jim Aparo, he, he lived. You know, I don't know where I can't remember where Aparo lived, but I think of somebody like I have a friend who lived in um, uh, Long Island um, okay. in uh, Port Jeff. And John Buscema lived around there. Wow, that's great. And he was friends with John Buscema's son. And Buscema had a worked it up in his attic. You know, he had a right. room in his attic. You know, and they would. You know, my friend and 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 Buscema's son would go up and they they'd hang out and stuff. But it was like it was just it was a job. You know, and every now and then you you know you'd go in to the city and you'd deliver your work, and then you'd come home and. There, there was no the, the, there was no fandom. It didn't exist. Like you said, these guys were professionals. It was a, it was their job, and that's what they did. They just happened to be incredibly creative and incredibly talented, you know. Um, yeah, and some of the them, inc- some of them, brilliant. Absolutely, man. No, I again love love hearing about and and having uh, when they were still alive. Silver Age guys, and Bron- I love talking to the Bronze Age guys of the seventies, and that's why I love Michael's back issue so much. So excited to see your article uh, next month in that, or in a couple weeks, I guess. Um, that's terrific. I um, I wanted to ask also, as a, as a guy who's loved Batman and written about Batman, what do you, what do you think of the current status quo? We're just weeks away from the big marriage, Batman and Catwoman. Oh, I love Tom King's work. I think Tom King is like the. I rank him now with like the best of the Batman writers. Agreed. And 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 the and the artists that he's getting to work on on all of his stories are fantastic. Because Absolutely. for me, uh, uh, being an artist, you know, um, it's really tough for me to get past a story that is not drawn well. You know, the, the, the writing can be great, and but it's really tough for me to get past the if it if if the yeah. if the if the art is mediocre or poor. Sure. Um, but that's not the case in Tom King's work. Um, I don't know. How he's getting all these great artists, uh, Clay Mann, um, yes. and he's getting um, oh god, I, I know think. Michael. I can't think of uh, Lee Weeks. Lee Weeks actually, Lee Weeks, gonna, Lee Weeks is going to sure. do is going to do. He did an annual which was beautiful. Uh, Joel the last Jones. Bat- Joel Jones. Jones. She's work. she's wonderful, and she's getting she's actually going to be writing and drawing the new Catwoman series. That's absolutely right. Absolutely, man. She's a doll. She's great. Um, I, look, I haven't no, had her on the yeah. show yet, but I oh, will. Oh, really? God, yeah. I'll have to go oh, back no, she's and great. And we hung out. We, uh, we, we One night in Chicago, we were singing karaoke because we have enough mutual friends. It's like, oh, nice to meet you. Oh, and, that's uh, great. No, I'm, thr- I'm thrilled for her. No, she's terrific. And Tom's a good friend. And I, I'm i really well, glad. Well, you, you, you listen know. to this about Tom, about Tom King. Please. One of his biggest reference books, Batcave Companion. Oh, that's fantastic! That's yep. awesome, man. Have you had a chance to meet him yet, or talk to him? I have not met him. We've kind of like gone, communicated through um, Twitter, sure. and I found out about that through Twitter, and then I found out about that through another podcast that I was on, a, a Batman podcast that they had me on about to talk about the book, and they talked about 
how how much Tom loves that, how, how much Tom loves the book, and how he ref, refers to it. And I I featured a lot about Kite Man <laughs> in that book. <laughs> And I gotta wonder after I heard that Tom King was like really influenced by the book, or you know, and he refers to it. He says he has it next to him all the time when he's writing. It's like, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe he got the idea of using Kite Man from Batcave Companion. That's fantastic. <laughs> I certainly hope so. No, he's great. And you know, as you might know, uh, for listeners obviously who probably know more than us, uh, was just on uh, this week was on uh, Seth Meyers late. Yeah, I saw Myers. that. Right. Great, great segment. I was really proud of him because. It's not easy, man. I've I've seen yeah. other comic book people that not have as great segments, uh, but I thought that uh, Tom did an excellent job, and yeah, and it's so great that uh, Seth and his producers are so into comics. Oh, because, I, I think know, it's great exposure. It's fantastic. Bendis, Bendis had a Bendis had a nice segment, and he immediately's like, you know, they know about word balloon, and I'm like, no, I didn't know. That's very nice. That's oh, that's great. Yeah, so you know, crazy shit like that. No, I uh, I'm lucky that way. But uh, back to no, I agree with you. I. This story is amazing. I, I'm like, come on, Tom. Something's got to happen. Some, you know, some stop the wedding moment has to happen. Yeah, I really don't know what it, what's going to end up happening. You know, really, up. I, I, I think, I think that what what Tom King is doing is like, and I was saying this on another um, on another podcast that he has really humanized Batman. Um. And he's humanized him the way Denny O'Neill did in the 70s. Agreed. And I, I – you know, you, you kind of brought Bruce Wayne back to being Bruce Wayne. I, I never really completely have fallen for the idea that um, Bruce Wayne is the mask and it's really, he's really Batman. Um, you know, Denny O'Neill didn't portray him that way, you know. Uh, Steve Englehart I, for that matter. Right. I'm sorry. Englehart too. You know, Englehart. I, you know, the way I look at it, the really great – Batman writers who had who had good art and or great art, sometimes great art, um, and and terrific runs were Denny, Steve Englehart, and I. This is a, a long jump, but I, I have to say, um, uh, Grant Morrison. I love what sure. Grant Morrison did. Sure. And then and then what Tom has done. No, I From, you know I, I'm cooler with both the interpretations. Go on, finish your point, and then I'll. Uh... Yeah, I just I just think that you know they Batman for 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 some of these writers, um, and it may have been the influence of of Miller um, and the sure. way he he did Batman. And by the way, Batman Year One, in, in my opinion, it's fantastic. It's like Epic. pure Epic. beautiful noir. And Magic um, Kelly, oh, so beautiful art, such beautiful art. Absolutely. Oh God, oh yeah, oh he fantastic. Um, but you kind of like lost you lost Bruce Wayne, you know, and it was all about Batman, and he got so damn grim, you know. And I and and I and I always I never liked. I'm I'm not a big fan of the Batman TV show. Um, interesting. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Batman TV show. Although oh, when I was a when I was a little kid, that's kind of what got me into Batman. But sure, high um, drama. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. The, sh- the 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 show created such a stigma through the seventies after Understood. it was canceled. Right. Um, the you know that the the public outside could never seem to get over the camp involved right. with Batman and how never many, take how many, com- how many comic book articles start with bang z- you know zip pow exactly comics aren't for kids anymore exactly you know? <laughs> and you know it 
and here I was, and I was just I, I loved what what O'Neill and Adams did. I loved what sure. um, Englehart and Rogers did. And uh, yeah, to be honest with you, the reason I really went to Tomorrow's to say that I wanted to do the Batcave Companion after uh, their Superman Companion had come out that Michael Yuri had written and his mm-hmm. Justice League Companion was that I wanted to kind of like write almost a wrong that I felt, which was Frank Miller seemed to be getting all this credit. And this is not a slight against Frank Miller at all. Um, but when Rolling Stone wrote about Dark Knight Returns and when um, the New York Times wrote about it, they gave him all this credit for like, oh, this is the man and this is this book that takes Batman out of the camp, away from camp and away from – and it, that wasn't true. Right. You know, it was yes. it was really it, you could say it was Denny and Neil, but it was really Neil first. Neil started it when he was doing his stuff with Bob Haney and Brave That's and the right. Bold. Yep. You know, he was inserting subtle stuff inside those stories on his own, outside the script, making Batman back to the character the way he thought he should be. Um, and I just felt like. You know, this story should be told about the 70s Batman, you know. Um, so it's not it's not just because, yeah, it's the comic I grew up with. It's, the, you know, the comics that I loved as a kid. But I felt like, um, you know, Frank Miller had um, had been given credit that he probably shouldn't have gotten for um, for for darkening the character. Well, it was just that, a different interpretation. You know, right. Go on. But but in, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's an incorrect interpretation because – that's you know, fine. <laughs> he, 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 he really, he really, he really didn't. Um, but what ended up happening was the, the character became really grim, became too grim. I thought. Sure. And, well, and I think what 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 happened when with with Grant Morrison, what he did, and especially what Tom King is doing now, is he's he's they brought kind of like this uh, humanity Shannon. back to the character. Yeah, I I respect that. And you know, it's the other classic argument is. With Superman, is he Kal-El or is he Clark Kent? And, yeah. and right now Bendis is saying, you know, no, he's Clark Kent. And it was funny. I uh, again, I don't mean a name drop, but this is, you know, I hang around with these people. Um, Mark Miller at C2E2, I got, I got a chance to have dinner with him with, in a big group of people. But we're all talking and stuff. And Mark really got into this jag of, oh, no, it's the, he's the Kryptonian. He's playing mm-hmm. as a human being, and right. I disagree. And I, I just as you know, passionately as you feel about Batman, it's like no, no, no. I go. He was raised by the cats. He goes, yeah, that's like one of us being raised by a colony of ants. And I started laughing. <laughs> I'm just like he goes. His brain is so evolved. And I'm like, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I got no problem with people who have that take with Superman or Batman. It's for me as long as it's an entertaining story, it's okay. And that's I think the beauty of these characters is their flexibility to reflect possibly what's going on in the zeitgeist right now. Oh, and you're absolutely right. That's why they've lasted. That's why they've lasted as long as no they question. have. That's why they've lasted for 75 years, especially, you know, and Batman's really open to interpretation. I mean, he's there's just so many different interpretations of him that it's it's it borders on almost the ridiculous, but um what do you think of Snyder's uh run right before Tom specifically I mean, um, I thought I it took I, too long. I thought it took too long. Hold on, because I, I want to frame it. Oh, I'm sorry. In terms of, well, just in terms of Batman almost being cured, Bruce being cured of the guilt and the the drive, and we got like several issues of Bruce Wayne being, what if this never happened? What if he was over this trauma? 
And I found that interesting. And also to the point, there were two great moments for me um, where he kind of was even saying, well, I don't necessarily want this burden anymore. I'm okay with myself. And he feels adjusted. And then there was that amazing scene in the park where a disguised Joker yeah. in human form is telling him, you know how you have that feeling that maybe there's a part of your life that's missing? Don't give in to it. And just this great kind of chilling conversation. And I thought those were really some great moments. And again, I felt a run that just went on too long as far as that storyline. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that, that went on too long. The whole thing with uh, Gordon becoming the Batman with, you know, like through the armored costume yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Um, I absolutely, you're absolutely agree with your take. I, 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 and I, and I thought that was interesting and there are definitely things about, um, Snyder's run that I found interesting. Um, but there were some things that I was disappointed with. I thought his, 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 uh, Joker storyline was in the end was kind of disappointing. Um, especially compared to, some of the other things that I've, some of the other Joker stories that I've read, um, I've read a lot of them. Um, I thought my personal favorite thing that 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 he did was the Court of Owls. I sure. love that of that course, first run God. with the Court of Owls, man. I thought that was fantastic, and he I was it, hooked. It was like there's nothing there's nothing new to say about Batman, and in fact, I know how some writers feel about that prior to the Court of Owls in terms of well, everything's been said. And Scott just very boldly comes in and adds this interesting point about Gotham and his take on the city and the secret people running things in the background and stuff and, and suddenly opens this brand new door. And it's like, oh, no, you can tell interesting stories. And mm-hmm. I agree with you, by the way. Uh, also, I think Snyder's, uh, first of all, um, Black Mirror, the great... Oh, uh, the Black Dick, Mirror, yes. Yeah, yeah Dick no, Grayson, the, and, and no, that's Black an Mirror, incredible Black story. Mirror is brilliant. I think Black yeah. Mirror is brilliant. You know, and, I, and that's a brilliant piece of noir, I think. Agreed, absolutely. And no question is that I no that. And again, I I think even Gordon. I wasn't crazy about Mecha Batman with Gordon, but I did like the other suit that seemed a little more Iron Man ish in terms of what it could do. But at least it looked traditionally more like a Batman suit. I think the whole armor thing, frankly, was to give Greg Capullo something he wanted to do. He's like, I like drawing giant robots. Mm-hmm. And Scott's like, all right, let's let's we'll, we'll put that in there, and and also to kind of poke, you know, every now and then, much like um, Rick Remender with the Punisher and his Franken Castle story that he did. Every now and then, you got to take, uh, and he did the same thing with Captain America when he put him in, I forget what area of space, uh, but yeah, every now and then, then you got to take the hero out of their element and and make them a fish out of water for a while. And, and yeah, which I don't, which great. I don't mind. Sometimes they go too long. But like what Neil and Denny did with um, Batman and Rachel Ghoul, when Batman goes like when he Bruce Wayne he fakes his murder, his fakes his death, yep, and he goes after Rachel Ghoul, and it's like it becomes a James Bond story. I love that. Absolutely, man. Oh my god, they did a good adaptation of it too in the animated series. Great adaptation, man. That Batman animated series was fantastic. Oh god, yeah, and I love that David Warner was Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, I, I yeah. always said Raza Ghoul. And and I know for two seconds, and in fact, I think in the animated series they called him Roz. I think uh, either way is right. I think yeah, I, I, know, I, I, I know, think I, I went over know. this with with Michael Yuri and I were talking about this, and it was like <laughs> either either way is yeah, right. Whatever, man. <laughs> I think actually I talked to Denny O'Neill about it, and he said either way was right. That's good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I just had Denny on at the beginning of the year, and that was so it was so great to hear him because man, that guy had a rough year. He he, you know, he reconnected with the love of his life late in life, 
they were married for you know twenty years or whatever, and she just passed away. I and did not was, know that yeah. Marianne. Yeah, Marianne. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's, and I, that's and terrible. I, and and Larry, his son, we were talking about setting something up right before Marianne got sick and ultimately passed away, and it was fast. I mean, it was really fast. And he's like, oh, you know, Denny's okay to talk. I'm like, really, man? I go, geez, it just seems like it was only like a month. And he, and also, Denny had kind of a health episode. I heard, I heard about that. Right after that. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Larry, I don't want to talk to him if he's, you know, like not well. or He's like, no, no, no. He goes, he's okay. And he was. And he was tremendous. And he had just released his um, uh, a fictional book that is part autobiography, but also a lot of fiction in there. He's the first to tell you that. And, uh, and we talked about that and just about his life. And so many interesting adventures. And there was definitely comic book stuff in there. But it really was just kind of Denny's own journey. I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's going to be at uh, Mohegan Sun. Uh, they're doing a comic convention in August. Oh, I'll that's great. I'll be there. Uh, yeah, I'll be there. So I'm, looking, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Um, it's been a while since I've, I've seen him face-to-face. But we've talked a couple times over the years at conventions. And I've only had him on the show twice. Once in 2006 when they, he released the uh, novel called Helltown which was basically his question run as a novel, as a paperback. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And, and Batman makes some appearances in there, and Lady Shiva. and it's Like I said, it's really his question run. Uh, it's great. And so, yeah, it was, it was really wonderful to have him back. And he's, he is. He's such a sweet guy. And, I, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, he's doing okay. And, in fact, uh, he let me know he's working on some new Batman stuff. Oh, cool. That's yeah, great. So, so hopefully that'll come out uh, – in, in the months, if not uh, next year or something like that. But he's doing a bunch of short Batman stories with a bunch of uh, artists and stuff. And it's, I'm like, oh, that sounds terrific. Yeah, so. he did. Didn't he do, um, he did something in the, he wrote a short piece in the DC Christmas holiday special. That's right. Yes, and who who illustrated that was beautiful uh, with Lee Weeks right was now. that Lee Weeks who drew it that? might have been I, I honestly can't remember that's fantastic yeah it was great yeah. it was really nice oh yeah well and again it's these guys know these characters man I hey man I really liked Neil's goofy Batman Hollow Earth story that he did I had no, no problem with it what, and, and, Batman Odyssey yeah. And oh, you know no, something, oh, no, no, and it's okay. No, 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 no. I don't like, and I don't like what Neil's doing. Going, what DC is allowing him to go back and and redraw his old comics. Well, I agree and, and with that. That's like that's bad. Yeah, that, I mean, that, I, agree I, I mean, it's don't, bad don't on Neil's it. part, but it's even worse on DC's part allowing that to happen. Well, I understand, and I agree. I, I um, well, and, I, and also back to Steve Englehart. I don't know if you knew this. I kind of had the feeling when he came back in the early two thousands and did his uh, sequel stories. To the Silver Saints, Cloud, Laughing Fish stuff from the seventies, mm-hmm. and Marshall, Marshall Rogers, obviously with him with some right. of Marshall's final work. I really was kind of mad at the comic fandom because they really embraced the Miller Batman versus Engelhart's, and yeah. like he was, you know, kind of going through like an elevator shaft trying to reach Silver. And he had like a thought bubble saying, "Hang on, honey, I'm coming." And they're like, "Batman would never say, honey." And it's like, "Yeah, well, shut the, the yeah, fuck up. You, you know, don't, that, exactly. don't tell Steve Englehart how to write Batman." Man. Right. I really enjoyed. I love that they got back together again. Um, I don't know if you read, got to read my chapter about um, about that about that. I must confess, Michael, I got to buy your book, man, and I, I, I have a feeling you, you'll be willing to come back in the future, and we will. Get oh, I'll send to the John. I'll send you. I'll send you. Oh, you don't have um, to do that, man. I'm happy to buy a copy. Um, but <laughs> so I planned on interviewing Marshall. You know, I interviewed I interviewed Steve Englehart, and um, 
I was going to interview Marshall. I had known Marshall before. Um, I lived for 20 years in the D.C. area, and that's Marshall was living in like Silver Spring, and I okay. met him at a con- at a convention in the like 90, 1990. Okay. And we actually ended up spending the day talking together um, the entire day. And he actually went over and he talked to me about his his idea for a black and white film noir Batman movie. <laughs> it wow. was great. It was great that he wanted a film at 16 millimeter. That's um, <laughs> But uh, so I then connected with him and I had a gate to interview him for Batcave Companion. And um, – that's when he had his heart attack uh, a week before we were going to be we were going to talk. So I didn't get to talk to him for my chapter because, <clears throat> and the chapter is called, um, you know, uh, like you know the ultimate is the you know the ultimate Batman story, you know, question mark or you know something like that. And um, so I ended up connecting with Terry Austin. Terry Terry is a wonderful guy, really sweet guy, and he just gave me all this information really really honest uh stuff that was going on in the 70s with marshall with their working together their their relationship working together and and what eventually became and happened to them afterwards when they regrouped for um for the sequel the dark Dark knight detective yeah yeah um and I found out that um, through Steve and through Terry that they started, you know, that was the first sequel and then the story continues and was going to be concluded in a second series. Yes. And that Steve had the entire script written for the the entire second series. And Marshall completed all of the art and Terry completed all of the inking for that first issue. And... They begged DC to say, like, well, find somebody else to do it. You know, find, you know, um, find someone else. You know, uh, Walt Simonson was, you know, a friend of, of Marshall's and they worked at the same time. And, and, sure. and Walt Simonson did those first two stories of Dr. Phosphorus uh, that Steve Englehart wrote in that in the detective, the original detective run. Yep. You know, they said, get Paul Galassi. Who actually is a, a, a good friend of mine? I did the Paul. I did the book the the Paul's art book. I wrote oh, that no and designed kidding. that. You know wow. the spies, vixens, and masters of kung fu. Yes, indeed, absolutely. So get Paul. You know, ask Paul Galassi to finish it. You know, and they buried it. And the reason they buried it was because they felt that exactly what you were talking about with fandom at the time. Yep. That fandom was, couldn't handle it. Which is – oh, and again, then why give Lee, Neil the license to do Odyssey? And I guess, well, it's Neil. I think it came later. I think that came later, and I think that was all with Neil too, you know, definitely. Sure. I mean, you know um, – No, and Neil's the kind of guy that, yeah, absolutely can, you know, be tough and be like, look, do it my way or I'm not doing it. I got other I things still I think do. I still think they've, they've got Marshall's story, and it's like, wow. you know – Paul is still around, you know. Walt Simonson's still Absolutely. around. There's other guys. Lee Weeks would be a great guy to I go ahead right. and finish it off. I think you're right. No, and it's again. I don't. I'm not surprised because not only did that upset Steve, and maybe he already told you this, but my my thought was based on I got to talk to him a couple times while he was doing Dark Detective, and um, it seemed to me that yeah, that fan reaction and probably DC's reaction drove him out of comics. Yeah, I because think so. he's still writing. He's writing. 
fantasy novels and kind of doing it. He created a character, and I, I don't know how much how recently he's done a new book. He's done a few comic book conventions since, but yeah, there is kind of this frustration with today's fandom with Steve, and I understand. And it's like, again, I it, I, it this is when we sound like angry old men on the lawn yelling at the kids yeah. for <laughs> yeah, you know, throwing their frisbee, or I guess now it'd be uh, a hacky sack or something else, or but any you know, get on my crest. But but it's true. It's like you people don't understand how great these writers were and artists and they deserve their place. To t- That's why there's room for, I, I but, understand but what you're saying. But also it goes back there's to John, what you were saying. to have an interpretation of Batman. Right. Go on. It, yeah. Exactly. It's exactly what you were saying before, John, which was, you know, that he is open to interpretation. The character has been in existence for 75 years. He's open to interpretation. <laughs> so there's going to be different interpretations of Batman. Um, and, it's just I don't know. It's just it's, yeah. it's it's a shame. It's a shame that hasn't seen the light of day. I don't know if it ever will. Maybe it will. I don't know. Well, maybe next year being the 80th anniversary of Detective Twenty Seven, and much like this was Superman's 80th year. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's the time. And hopefully, all right. Now this is this is my mission. I got to go, and I've I've had enough conversations with Dan DiDio, and go, hey, <laughs> make this happen, man. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. You know, it's. Oh, and again, not only Steve's work on Batman, but his wonderful work on Captain, Captain America. America. That's Good what Lord. got. That's what became that, his Captain. His run on Captain America is what it, what got me into Marvel when I was a kid. I completely agree, man. Me too. I, I felt the same way. I uh, well, what else? Oh, and uh, you know, right now we mentioned Marvel. What you know? Of course, Daredevil has that wonderful boxing uh, history in his uh, mm-hmm. and oh, his and backstory, the, and, and also the the Netflix. I love the Netflix series. True. Yes. Oh, it's fantastic. Absolutely. But I, 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 I of course, being a fight fan, Jack Murdoch, Daredevil's mm-hmm. father, oh, yeah. always always such an important part of the story, and uh, have loved when God they even did a uh, didn't they do like a miniseries in the early two thousands with Jack Murdoch? I never read that. I think I they did, but I just I didn't read that. This is, I didn't now, read that. now we don't blink when there's a, a comic book that costs three ninety. Yeah, right. <laughs> and back then, this is back when it was like still like two twenty five or something like that. It's, I'm not spending four bucks on a comic. Are you nuts? Yeah, Here really. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't read that. Um, there's no the Daredevil. I got into Daredevil because of Miller. Um, and okay. I mean, it, it was it was it was definitely. I was in college, and um, when Frank Miller took over. Yep. Um, just the art first when he actually first took over the art i loved his art yeah and then he took eventually took over the writing so i i that i was hooked and you he, he had this definitely this more sensibility you know when eddie eddie and i eddie is a big comic book guy and he was heavily influenced by eisner and 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 steranko and and, and and our we, we ended up discovering. Well, we're both friends with Jim Steranko. I mean, we didn't know that, but we, you know, we were good. We're both good friends with Jim with Jim Steranko. But um, we, I begged him. I said, "We got to do a comic book issue, a noir comic book issue for Noir City." You know, um, and he says, "Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it." And finally, we ended up doing it. Oh, that's and great! I'm gonna have to pick that up. Go on. Yeah. Well, um, I'll send you the link. Uh, I'll send you the link for it um, because that was that's like I love that issue. Um, but uh, I ended up writing actually about the 1970s Batman in that. It's like kind of like a, a, I took a bit of my book and then and then wrote a piece about sure. it. Um, and then That's Jake cool. Jake actually writes about Batman Year One. Um, Jake's a wonderful writer. Um, but Eddie Eddie does a does something about Will Eisner, 
but one thing that Eddie and I decided to do was the top ten noir comics ever. Our oh, top ten Tell noir me. comics. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to remember. John. Yeah, I remember um, as many as you but can. It's, but it's but but it's both of us. We this was both 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 of us. But um, there's crime suspense stories. Sure. Um, you see, yeah. Storenko's Chandler. Red Love Tide. Chandler. Love Chandler. Red Tide. Absolutely. Uh, Miller's Daredevil. Of course. Batman Year One. Cool. The Killing Joke. Very cool. Agreed. Um, Torpedo. Love Torpedo. Oh my God! I have several volumes of Torpedo. It's fantastic. Um, the um, and oh God, I'm getting old. Uh, it's a good list, the, man. Go on. The um, and this is on my list to read. This was this was Eddie's choice. Was uh, God? What is the? I think it was a maybe a French comic about the the animals in the noir story. Oh yeah. Um. Oh shit. Black Sad. Black Sad. Right. Black Sad. Black Sad. Yeah, um, dude. Um, Chaikin, Howard Chaikin just wrote. Uh, I gotta say, and I and I don't say it enough. DC's Hanna Barbera recent stuff, where they have taken these old concepts and modernized them in interesting ways. Chaikin's uh, took Rough and Ready, one of the forgotten. Oh, 50s. I know. Yeah, they're for the DC. Yeah, those are pretty. Those are pretty cool. That's pretty cool stuff. And I told I told Howard, I'm like, and I forget, and shame on me, I forget the artist's name, but it had a very black sad feel to it. And it really was more about, you know, a, a comment on today's media cycle mm-hmm. and, you know, Hollywood in general. And, you know, yesterday's Coffee Boy is running a major production company or a network tomorrow. Uh, and it's great. It's fantastic. And, um, yeah, it had it had that black sad feel. That's the only reason why I jumped to 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 mention that. How Where did uh, Brubaker and. Um, and Sean, well, Criminal uh, Criminal yeah, is Sean on Phil there. Was, and yeah. that in that issue, Eddie interviews Ed Brubaker and Sean. Oh, Phillips. that's great. I, I I know I know Ed and Sean, so I was able to arrange the interview with them. Didn't, didn't you um, mention you mentioned Gun Crazy earlier? I mm-hmm. think he did either that or in our pre-talk. Yes, and wasn't Ed's uncle? Didn't he write Gun Crazy? No, his his uncle wrote um, uh, the the first uh, Mar- Philip Marlowe um, movie with um, oh god, I can't think of the title right now. Um, with uh, god. Dick Powell, yeah, with Dick Powell. Okay. Maybe his, Murder his, My Sweet? Murder My Sweet, yes. Okay. His, his, oh, wow. his, his, uncle, his uncle wrote the script for that. Or, or I misremembered. That's fantastic. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Love Dick Powell. Dick Powell. Love, love Richard Diamond, the old-time radio show. Which is And, and uh, you know, do you guys, if you haven't done it already, I hope you'll do an old-time radio noir section in uh, Noir City. We've somewhere. done a few stories on it. Um, uh, Alan Rohde wrote um, a piece. Uh, God. I think it was before we redesigned it. Before I redesigned it into a magazine, when it was a e-newsletter, he did oh, okay. something about some noir radio. But we'll probably get more, we'll probably get more back into that. Um, I know yeah. one of our writers did something about the shadow, about the shadow radio. Shadow's amazing. Shadow's great. But and I love love every iteration of the shadow, even the Alec Baldwin movie, which is a flawed movie. Yeah, which is yeah, no, it wasn't a bad movie. I thought exactly. it was okay. It's it, they get they get a lot of the elements correct. Yeah, and there's just a couple little goofy things in there, but it's for the most part, it's a good representation of the shadow. But, yeah, I uh, agree. Pat Novak for hire, the old Jack Webb series pre Dragnet, is really one of the best radio noirs out there. And obviously, noir is more of a visual aesthetic, but but I guess it's attitude, and I would think that you guys probably feel that same way. 
that it really. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's the written that. word. It's the written word too. True. I mean, you yes, think of all yeah. the great, all the great writers. I mean, they're the ones who really kind of like got the ball rolling. Very true. Absolutely. I uh, no, I, I I like your list, and yeah, honestly, Ed and uh, Ed and Sean are just. What an incredible team! I love Sleeper. Did you read Sleeper back? Then I read too? Sleeper. I Sleeper love Sleeper. So I'm, I, I'm reading Killer Be Killed, which is about to come to an end, which yes. is fantastic. Um, and uh, their their film noir um, series, the um, that's what that's why we ended up interviewing them. I can't think of the, the name of the series. It was right before Killer Be Killed. The fade out. The fade out. Yeah. The fade out. So. Um, that was fantastic, and yeah, I can't I wait. I, I always can't. Oh, you should get the fade out. Well, I know. I, 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 I know. I'm, no, I said I miss Ed. I, I oh, did oh, get the fade oh, out. yeah. He's but not. Yeah, a, he's not on Twitter anymore. No, I know, and it's tough to get a hold of him. I, uh, I usually have to see him at a convention, and it's been a couple of years since he's been on the show. And I know that he's really busy with TV, and you know, I mean, he wrote he wrote on the first season of Westworld, mm-hmm. and and I'm really happy for him, and I'm really glad things are going as well as they are for him. Um, I, he's just a brilliant writer. Oh, he's and, great. You know, it's he's like great. it's like Brian K. Vaughn. It was easy to talk to Brian K. Vaughn, you know, twelve years ago or, or so, and not anymore. <laughs> it's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It was like through Twitter that that, that Ed and I kind of like got. Oh, actually, before that, I ended I ended up interviewing Ed um, for the Overstreet Comic Book Marketplace. Oh, fantastic! For, um, when he revived Bucky Barnes, sure. So I interviewed him for that. And yeah. at that time, it was funny because we, we were talking on the phone and um, I told him how much I love film noir. And he goes, oh, you love noir? And he goes, wait till you, you, wait till you see the new series that Sean, Sean Phillips and I are working on. Just, <laughs> just wait, just wait. And that, was, that ended up being criminal. Absolutely. No, I talked to him through the Captain America run and uh, certainly his Daredevil run as well, which was a great run. And uh, following Bendis, and uh, yeah, that, that Bendis and Brubaker run on Daredevil aren't unbelievable. Absolutely, man. God, when he uh, the Punisher wants to get into jail because Daredevil's there and he wants to spring him, so yep. he shoots a crook in the face in front of a cop, and he's like, "You got to arrest me." <laughs> I swear, it was like The Sopranos. It was like reading The Sopranos once a month. It was amazing. Absolutely, Absolutely man. Jesus, I, uh, I, are you, I have you started reading Brian's uh, Superman stuff? Yes. I'm a fan. I think it's. I great. like it. No, I, I I do like it. I was surprised and ended up with Superman. I thought for sure he'd he'd he'd, he'd, he'd choose Batman, of course but we um, did, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I think um, I I'm 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 digging what he's doing with Superman. You know, I like it. Me too, man. Great, no, great art too. Absolutely. Right, I'm trying to think of any other boxing comic books that we haven't uh, touched on. I uh, you know, and also it's been 90 minutes. Are you getting tired of talking to me? It's okay. We can wrap up if you want. No, no, we can keep talking. We can All right, keep great. talking. Because I also I wanted to talk as as a, a boxing expert and fan, uh, the current state of the sport, and um, I, I and that's I know like another four hour conversation. Good lord! But I am interested for people like yourself that are maybe following it a little closer, because um, I found myself. I mean, I've always loved the history, and really, I spent sixteen years. While I'm trying to think, now I'm going to do the math. 89 to 2017 years, 89 to 2006, I covered sports very hard and very much so boxing and started writing for Ring at the same time as Boxing Illustrated. I felt like they were kind of editing me more at Ring than Boxing Illustrated where I could kind of, you know, and I love Bert. Bert Sugar was such a friend of mine and, 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 and just a good dude and always treated me really well. Yep. Yeah, Bert, uh, Bert Sugar was amazing. 
absolutely. You had a, did you get to know him? No, I never got to meet him. Oh, no. he was he truly man. Oh, and I, you know, not, like I get not, not Nigel's stories about Bert. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I can only imagine. But uh, I, uh, I in my time, so that's why I I left uh, ring quickly and just kind of leaned into Boxing Illustrated instead till about 1996. And at that point, that's when I was really covering the sport for radio. And I, and I really did it up until 2006. Uh, uh, Fernando Vargas had a fight. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Fernando. Or it might, it might have been. But it was an HBO fight uh, in Chicago. And that's like one of the last things. And also when Lehman Brewster won the WBO heavyweight title. That was one of the last things that I covered. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan of the sport. But after that point, you know, it was just... It, it just got diluted, and all the the governing bodies have always been a problem since the. That, well, it still is. The governing yeah. bodies are, the, are 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 what's killing the sport. You it's know, the, all the all the yeah. all the goddamn belts and and all that bullshit. You know, it's just it's just it's just insane. And then if, yeah. you know, it, it's keep it, you know, it's been shooting itself in the foot with how to cover it on television and 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 yes. you know, it's you know the pay per view and Mike, um, you, uh, for me, it started when NBC after the eighty eight Olympics. NBC's like, you know, we're not going to put it on regular NBC. We're going to put it on all of our – when we cover the Olympics, it won't be on proper NBC. It'll be on all the other satellite uh, NBC-owned stations. The triple cast for Barcelona was where I think the darn, downfall began when network boxing – and also partially because of the economics, network boxing couldn't afford uh, – right. or network sports couldn't afford boxing right. the, the way they did in the, in, you know, through, the, through the 80s and into the very early 90s. Um, I mean, I, I was I, I was buying TVKO and the early pay per views and things, mm-hmm. but um, the governing bodies are one thing. The other thing that really hurts the sport more and more is the fact that it's twelve rounds, because you're almost destined to hit a draw. Yeah, and I think and I think the only people that love draws are promoters and managers, because they're like, well, we'll do a rematch, and everyone mm-hmm. will buy the rematch, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, we're not going to buy the rematch because you fucked us on the first decision, and yeah. you know, and it's funny as we're talking, they they thankfully made the deal for Triple G to fight Canelo Alvarez, right, for for September fifteenth, and also it looks like uh, if things continue to go well, that Deontay Wilder and J- uh, Anthony Joshua will be fighting, right. So yeah, what do you? I mean, those are those are some of the ills. Those I are see. some big fights. I mean, they're you know, boxing. A- a few years ago, I had a really bad year. I can't. What was it? Two thousand fifteen, maybe or fourteen. And then the last couple of years, boxing's definitely been on the rebound. Okay. Um, and and there's been some really good fights, and at least there's some good matchups. There's still the problem with, you know, um, like the border wars that go on between the promoters, you know, and the yes. fact that you're not going to see the fights that you really want to see. Granted, that's kind of over be, being overcome a little bit, especially the good news about Wilder and Joshua, um, if that comes to be. I mean, this is boxing, so you never right. know what's going to happen. But Absolutely. you know, hopefully, that's going to happen. Um, you know, uh, but the welterweight division is so loaded with 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 guys that you know you just hope that they're going to all fight each other. You know, everybody. Back in the day, you know, it, it it wasn't a crime to have a defeat. You know, a fighter right. was almost a fighter was almost measured by how he could come back from from losing a fight. Agreed. Now they're so scared to have that that one defeat. They they're so scared not to be undefeated anymore that um, 
that they're not fighting. They're, they're just not fighting each other. Um, you just want to be able to see Lomachenko fight the best guys. I mean, he's he's amazing to watch. Absolutely. Terrence Crawford. I for me, it's it's like Terrence Crawford number one and Lomachenko very close number two. Agreed. And 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 you want to see those two guys fight everybody. And I think they want to. That's the type of fighters they are. I think Terrence Crawford and Lomachenko want to fight the best, and they only want to fight the best. Um, I, I think people were have, have been. We're craving like a Lomachenko, Mikey Garcia fight, but I don't, I don't know if Lomachenko's frame, if his body can can get up that Agreed. big. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, and I think that I, was I, proven I in that he, Linares fight. I don't even fight. know if he should. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, that um, Linares fight was epic, and it was true. Oh, I, I mean, loved it. It was a classic. Yeah, man. Last last year when Joshua fought Klitschko, I'm like, literally, that is the best heavyweight fight I've seen since the first Riddick Bow Evander Holyfield fight. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it was the it was like the best one in so many years, in like twenty five years. Yeah, and the same um, and Lomachenko and Linares. I'm like, this is epic because Linares, man, and 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 again, as you just said, let's see how Linares responds from that loss because right. he was very much in that fight. And Lomachenko's power, while incredible and devastating, Linar- and in fact, in your latest issue of Ringside Seat. Uh, you've got uh, people talking about this is the way to fight Lomachenko. Yeah, that was the Robert Cassidy's article where he talked to the seven top trainers to say to, to find out how would you stop Lomachenko? Because he 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 is as exciting as Manny Pacquiao was in his early career. To put it in recent memory, and and yeah, I think I mean obviously it's just this incredible marvel. He's so fast. His combinations are so fast. But like you say, I worry. I don't want them to make the mistake of let's keep putting on weight because the talent is still there. Because again, I think Linares proved that man, maybe, you know, there's, there's some, maybe we found our ceiling. Yeah. I don't think his frame, I just don't think his yeah. frame can handle. I don't think his power will, will, um, will, will translate. And, um, not that he's, he's a power puncher. He's not, um, you know, but he can knock guys out with accumulation of punches. Sure. And, and, um, I think that, I think the first time I saw him, when I saw him, and I was just like blown away by him, was a fight that he 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 had. You know, look, he hasn't even had that many fights. Professional right, he's fights. only had like he's 11 got, or 12 he's had like fights. yeah, he's, yeah, he's like got ten fights or something like that. But this must have been like his third or fourth fight or something. It was on HBO, and he he either broke or severely injured his hand, and he beat a guy down with one hand. Yep. Yep. Uh, it was just like this is just unbelievable what this guy the kind of talent the kind of balance and speed and footwork um and um punching angles and movement and it's just he's 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 great to watch but i'll tell you what terrence crawford he's number one for me um he's got he's got all the skills and he's got the killer instinct. I mean, he gets in the ring. He's like he's like the old time fighters. He gets in the ring, and it, he's got a mean streak in him. Agreed. And he is fantastic. I mean, that, you, you love seeing that. I mean, when when he gets a guy, he's going to finish him off. He is going to finish him off, and he's going to finish him off because of the mean streak and because of his incredible skills and talent. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I didn't buy. The Jeff Horn fight, or I should say, I didn't get. ESPN I didn't either. Plus. I did. I refused to get that. Well, and that's you know, Mike. We were kind of at this interesting point now, as far as uh, just like in the early '90s when pay per view was the new thing, 
um, now do you subscribe to a streaming service to get your boxing? And I know not only ESPN Plus, but for the listeners, the British promoter Barry Hearn, matchmaker, right. is talking about creating uh, a boxing-only streaming service and is trying to – sounds like he's got the money. It's a question of uh, – you he's know, trying to he, sign. His, he's trying to sign all these American fighters. Exactly, right now. exactly, and that's really interesting. And I, I appreciate uh, the European product in general because their love of boxing hasn't abated. And England is no, a great the, boxing well, country. And, and England, and England, it's just, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, all you have to do is, is what, what, what happened at, at the Joshua, uh, um, Joseph. Uh, yeah, the the Josh that, and then the. Um, uh, the fight before it that you were talking about, um, Joshua and and um, it, at Wembley it was like, yeah, yeah. right, right, yeah, yeah. Klitschko. yeah, the Klitschko fight. There was like eighty thousand people at, at Wembley, and I mean, it's just insane when Anthony Joshua comes out. His ring walk, yes, you know, is just this epic event. Just his ring walk. Um, but Nigel Collins wrote a really good piece. You probably read it in the new issue, um, all about British boxing and oh, kind of yeah. like the rise of British boxing and its oh, yeah. crazed fans. It's a really nice piece, but that's kind of what's happening right now in England. Uh, you, in England, you've got <laughs> you've got magazines falling by the wayside here, print magazines falling by the wayside here, and in England, you've got um, Boxing News, which is a full color magazine, and it comes out every week. Oh, I didn't know that because, and I it, guess I get the monthly one, the the international boxing monthly. There's boxing monthly, which is a full color magazine, and that's a monthly. But boxing news is a weekly. That's crazy in this in, in this magazine environment that it's a weekly. Yeah, yeah. No, and again, I know I, I've I've been a reader of of boxing monthly. Jesus, uh, going back to the '90s, and uh, when when um, oh god, no, I'm, uh, Nigel Ben and uh, you know people like that were mm-hmm. were fighting, you know. Watched Joe Calzaghe's entire career, and it's like, right. yeah, Roy Jones, you think you're a badass? Fight Calzaghe. And of course, it never happened, you know, or did it finally? Yeah, happen. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. I, I was going to say, I didn't think it yeah. happened. No, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and Germany is a wonderful boxing country as well. Still appreciated, and certainly the, the former Soviet states and, and the various Eastern European countries, huge in the Asian uh, market. Uh, still and oh and yeah, I, I mean, I, I we get it. orders. We get orders for our magazine from I order from Belgium. I get order yeah, from Russia, right. Sweden. Sure. Um, so yeah, no, we've there's it's that's the other great thing about about boxing. I mean, besides, it's kind of like shady, dark, behind the scenes stuff that goes on. Boxing is a true is a true international sport. Yep, agreed. Well, you know, I uh, quick story uh, Univision. Um, there was a great uh, Spanish uh, broad sports broadcaster, Norberto Longo, and Univision came to Chicago to do a card. And it was, you know, a lot of times if you watch on, on uh, Spanish-speaking uh, television, you'll see great uh, boxing. And it's, it's contenders. It's rarely a title fight, but at least they put together a competitive card. And um, this was the case at this one show, and I met Norberto Longo, and, and um, I said, Mr. Longo? He said, yes. And I said, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate it. At the time, there was a show on Univision called uh, Boxeo de Mundial, the world of boxing. And I said, I, man, I got to tell you, I love your show. I write for Boxing Illustrated. I'm on 
the Budweiser panel that puts together the top ten lists and everything. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your show because you show all these great international fights. And we would, I mean, you know, I, I would see the great flyweights and bantamweights from Asia and, uh, you know, various fights from you know, the other side of the world because of your show. And I can't thank you enough because it really helps me keep tabs on some of these other divisions and what we don't normally get on American television. And he looked at me, and then he said, because I didn't realize he didn't really speak English, and he said, so you like boxing. <laughs> and and his, his color man, Jesse, and I can't remember Jesse's last name, because he goes, hang on a second, man. And he translated in Spanish everything I said, and Longo's eyes light up. He's like, oh, much of good stuff. Thank you very much. Very nice. Very nice. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. And That's so great. that was terrific. And I would see him as I continue to cover boxing for Sporting News Radio and would go to fights in Vegas and stuff. Occasionally I would see him. He's since passed away. But, uh, yeah, man, no, I, I love that. And I love the fact that it is such an international sport. And really, ultimately, and I don't even know who wrote this recently. Forget about It might have been Nigel, actually, on Twitter. Forget about the belts. It's really about the fights. It's about the matchups. Don't, mm-hmm. don't pay attention until it is a big fight. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm pleased that we are finally getting Canelo and Triple G. Again, hopefully to a race that ridiculous draw. I mean, I, yeah. I, I certainly, I mean, I like Canelo. He's a fine boxer, much like Lomachenko. Maybe he's discovering that he's reached his ceiling and perhaps his power isn't what should be. And maybe he should dip back down to 154 after this fight. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I thought Triple G won the fight very close. I mean, you know, but it being a draw, you know, and Nigel wrote a really good piece about actually about it um, in the second issue. And he, he talked about the, the judging with that, and he, he, he talked about uh, Adelaide Bird, and he talked about also, you know, just kind of the history of, of some of this really, some of the stuff that goes on with judges and the perks that they get and the really shady crap that goes on with that. Oh, absolutely, my God. Is Adelaide, I meant to ask, and I don't know if you know, is she related to Joe Bird, the former Olympic coach, and uh, Chris Bird, the, uh, and also, and I forget the other, the other lighter weight. Bird family fighter. I thought they were all related. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I know she's married to um, the the referee. Um, what you call it? Bird. Um, you know the. Oh, I forget his name. Yeah, I don't remember yeah, his name. Yeah, they're okay. married. Interesting. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, no, you're right. I mean, and that's because, in fact, I just did another interview and was talking about the various things I've done in broadcasting. And and the woman asked me, and she's like, you know, do you th- is boxing fixed? And I'm like, it's not fixed per se, but uh, something's going on. And also, as you know, uh, half the time the the, fight, the non-title fights we see are all right. Here's uh, experienced, well-placed contender against well-meaning journeyman, and it's like I put it in baseball terms. I'm like, it's like a major league p- pitcher facing a double A hitter, right? And it's like, yeah, I mean, he's gonna he, he's gonna prove his skill and his experience and the better quality of training that he gets to pursue his career is just on a different class than most of the opponents. And God, man, Chicago has become such a tank town. And uh, for people who don't know what I, I know, you know what I'm talking about when I say a tank town. But, you know, yeah, again, uh, I saw Bonecrusher Smith whack out a guy in the 90s and have a first-round knockout. I saw Chavez lead a card at one of our big stadiums, the United Center, and the stadium go into a near riot because it was such a mismatch and he knocked a guy out in, in the first round. And I mean that's the thing we and and even the fighters that we grow here in Chicago seem to be guys that are fighting. God, they're double A, uh, you know, baseball players facing high school 
baseball players. And mm-hmm. they're just fattening their records so that when they can go to Vegas and fight a top contender or a champion, they're there to be beaten. It didn't used to be that way. We did have a lot, and really even into the 90s, uh, I think Angel Man Freddy was one of the last, you know, solid fighters and, and a decent champion. He, of course, Floyd Mayweather made easy work of him, but Floyd, you know, Mayweather's an all-time great. Man, Freddie was a, de- you know, a solid, I think a solid boxer and a decent enough champ. You could, you, your mileage may vary. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I remember him. <laughs> but yeah, now it's, now it's really sad. It's a bunch of kids. I mean, we, have, we still have a decent amateur program and I think a lot of kids that are willing, but there's, uh, for the longest time, Cedric Kushner, this was one of his territories, was Chicago. And, um, yeah, there, there really isn't, I think, a major promoter interest that I'm aware of in Chicago to fund uh, a, a potential cr- uh, contender. In fact, there's a guy that I know that uh, is a decent fighter, and he's been from Chicago. He's been fighting in Tacoma, Washington to get a better level of training. I don't know what kind of program they got in Tacoma, Washington, but clearly his, his people feel like that they're being served better fighting out there. That's too bad because back in the day, and when I'm talking about back in the day, and in the 40s and the 50s (laughs) and the 60s, you know, I mean, the the big fights were were at Chicago or at Chicago Stadium. Absolutely. Well, you as you know, Jim Norris, the uh, the uh, and and Arthur Wirtz, people in hockey, they they owned the controlling interest of Madison Square Garden, Chicago Stadium. the De- Detroit's major uh, stadium and St. Louis's major stadium, and with the birth of television, they were the top promoters of boxing. So yeah, Chicago, as you say, I mean, God, Sugar Ray Robinson had epic fights here. The second yeah. uh, Graziano Zale fight, uh, mm-hmm. many of, you know, Joe Lewis uh, um, beat uh, the Cinderella Man Braddock in uh, Comiskey Park in Chicago. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, the, the wasn't the. Um wasn't one of the Liston-Patterson fights in Chicago yes, at Comiskey? Yes. Yes, it was. So, yeah, man. No, you're right. And and to be honest, again, that, that connection with the mob, I find fascinating. I'm so sorry that someone hasn't reprinted um, the great book that really laid out the whole uh, thing about the International Boxing Club and its ties to organized crime. That uh, and Now my, I'm blanking on the great uh, boxing writer that wrote that in the mid-'60s. You know, Jim Norris and the Decline of Boxing is the title. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, that book is recommended in Ringside Seat. Yes, indeed. In the new issue, Wally Matthews. Another That's great, right, Wally uh, Matthews. And, and actually, Steve Farhood, who did five favorite boxing books, listed that as one of his five favorite boxing books. It doesn't books. surprise you, man. And I, hey, I spent the, uh, the uh, 70, it was yeah, like 60 or 70 bucks to find it used. And uh, on Amazon, and I was able to get it through a third party, and I'm really glad because I have not read it. It's incredible. It's amazing. So, and it's it's very Walter Winchell uh, Untouchables or Jack Webb Dragnet in terms of it's it's really really meet you know just a very straightforward narration of what happened, and it's incredible. No, it's a, it's an amazing story, and it uh, again is a sad chapter about the dirtiness of boxing and stuff. So, yeah. uh, no, neat stuff. Well, listen, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up now because we're we're closing in on uh, almost two hours, and I. Oh my god! Okay. I and, I, and yeah, no, and we hey, never man. and we did we didn't get to EC Comics. Oh and yeah! We oh didn't, god damn it! Yeah, you we didn't get about? to we didn't get get the classic horror movies either. Oh my so god! Maybe some other time. Okay, because yeah, man, you're welcome back. Absolutely. Maybe one after one of these big fights that are coming up. Sure. You know when the when it's good. when it's time for the fifth issue, come back because yeah, man. I I know I really do want to talk about. Uh, 
what you're doing in, in horror. And as you say, I'll just give people a taste. You, you worked with, um, and now I'm blanking on his name, but the, some of the great uh, EC collections. Oh, with Russ Cochran, yeah. Russ Cochran. I worked with, I, yeah, I worked with Russ Cochran. The yeah. keeper of the EC Comics Flame. Right. And, uh, yeah, man, no, I would love, please come back because, yo, we definitely have to talk about that stuff. Yeah, well, our next issue comes out in September. So, um, you know, that's around the time of uh, Canelo Triple G uh, rematch. So, whether our issue comes out uh, before or after, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll let you know. And we'll, that would be great if I could come on again. That'd be great. It'd be my pleasure, man. For, for now, you want to prolong, got to get Noir City and Ringside Seat? Yeah, so, um, Noir City, um, is, uh, part of the film noir foundation uh, and the film noir foundation uh, if you donate which is it's a tax deductible donation to the film noir foundation which works to um restore uh film noir movies and we've restored a number of movies uh eddie muller who is the tcm host at noir alley is the founder and president of uh, the Film War Foundation, uh, if you go to the website, filmwarfoundation.org, uh, you can find the information that you need. And if you donate $20 or more, um, and you you will get on the, uh, the, the list, there's like a list to get on the mailing list, you will be automatically subscribed to um, Noir City. Uh, you'll get the newsletter, uh, email newsletter about all the news about the Film War Foundation and what it's doing. Um, and you'll also get, uh, delivered to you the PDF of the North city magazine, which is it, I think I'm prejudiced, but I think it's like the best film magazine out there. And Martin Scorsese just bought the entire run <laughs> of, of, of North city issues. So, um, he's pretty impressed with it too. That's fantastic. Uh, and, um, as far as, uh, ringside seat, um, uh, our website is uh, ringsideseatmag.com, and you can find all the issues there. We've got four of them. Our new issue is out right now, um, and you can find out uh, the contents uh, of each of the issues. And like John was saying, we, uh, we talk about current state of boxing, and we also delve into history of boxing. We've had articles about boxing movies, uh, uh, literature. We kind of like to dub ourselves as the Paris Review of Boxing. Uh, I think we've got some of the best writers out there. We have Eric Eric Raskin, who's with the HBO. Uh, He's our columnist. Uh, Bill Detloff is our editor-in-chief. He was formerly the senior writer at uh, at The Ring, and he has also wrote a brilliant biography of Ezra Charles. I've read it. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nigel Collins also is one of our feature writers, and he's in the Boxing Hall of Fame. And uh, Don Stradley also, who's a fantastic writer, uh, uh, who has also written for North City. He's also one of our regular writers. So um, we're also on Twitter at, at Ringside Seat Mag. Um, so if you want to follow us there, if you search for us, we've got a Facebook page also. Um, and if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm at M.W. Cronenberg, K-R-O-N-E-N-B-E-R-G. Sounds good, man. No, great products and uh, a lot more to talk about on our next conversation. But uh, also the Batcave Compa- Companion. I'm sure you yes, can that's, that yeah, in, you can, from you Tomorrow's. Can get, yeah, you can get that from Tomorrow's.com or you can get it from Amazon also. It's the Batcave Companion. So if anybody's interested in Batman in the 60s and 70s. 
um, yeah, I think you might like it. I think so. Based on this conversation, I absolutely think so. No, great conversation, Michael. I appreciate your time today. And, uh, yeah, man, let's, uh, in the fall, uh, around Canelo Triple G and uh, issue five of uh, Ringside Seed, we'll, uh, we'll set up a new talk. That sounds great. Thanks, John. That's Mike Cronenberg. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. He's coming back because, like I said, we uh, and he said, sadly, uh, there is some neat stuff that he's doing in classic horror. There's neat stuff that he is doing with or had done with the EC books. And I would love to talk to him about that stuff. Plus, you know, some of these fights are going to happen in the summer and into the early fall. So there's going to be an excuse for Mike Cronenberg to come back and talk more comics and boxing here on Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening today. Uh, it was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are some great books waiting for you at InStock Trades. Things like Doctor Strange by Donny Cates. We all loved it. Volume 1, God of Magic, one of the uh, great collections. And uh, Donny is becoming quite a force at Marvel. Uh, right now, this book is 50% off, $7.99. You can also get things like Aquaman Tempest. Some great stuff from Phil Jimenez. Garth, one of the great uh, characters in Aquaman's family, who never gets enough uh, credit. Uh, this is a great story, and uh, written and drawn by Phil Jimenez. 50% off, $8.49. There's Trinity, Volume 2, Dead Space Rebirth. This is uh, Francis Manipal doing the art and the writing. We love Francis. It's been far too long. I need to get Francis back on the show. I was just talking about Francis this weekend. But this is Volume 2 of his Trinity work. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Justice League are in there as well. It's a great story. 42% off, $8.69. Some of the great books that are on sale now at InStockTrades.com. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. They're a longtime sponsor because uh, they've been great, and I appreciate their support. And, hey, man, great books, great prices. This is a great digital store. If uh, you're not near a comic store or are looking for uh, a great uh, selection of really great books at great prices, Look no further, InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to today's Word Balloon. There's an additional episode that came out today. Uh, it's um, on my buddy, Scotty Young. I'm really excited to have him back again. Another guy. It had been years since Scotty's been on at the beginning of I Hate Fairyland. We do a Fairyland update. We also talk about his current run on Deadpool. Great stuff. And um, I miss Scotty, so it was really fun having him back. So uh, check that out today as well. Scotty Young on uh, today's Word Balloon, uh, Volume 2. So uh, more great stuff coming before the end of June. Haven't figured out, uh, you know, exactly what days, but uh, probably at the end of the week, expect another couple episodes. And man, just uh, a great selection of uh, creators, uh, familiar faces, first timers as well, classic uh, creators from uh, decades gone by, but are still uh, wonderful people to talk to. Uh, really excited about the uh, episodes I still have to present to you in the days and weeks ahead on Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.